Welcome to the Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett McGarry. This week we herald the return of the social assassin. I'm Jeff Braun. Yes, Larry David is back for another confrontational season of Curb Your Enthusiasm. And one of the most famous stories in science fiction is back on the big screen. And I'm quite pleased to tell you, I really liked the first episode of Chucky. But first, Larry's back this weekend for season 11 of HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Thank you all for coming. Oh, I want to make a toast to friendship. Cheers, cheers. Cheers, cheers. cheers. Larry, you can't look me in the eye and toast. What does it do? You're saying, hello, I see you. I connect with you. Hello, I see you. I acknowledge you. I connect with you. I think you're rude. You see how stupid yeah. it is? What happened to the movie where you were playing me? Oh, the God. was based on me? Yeah, it went away. It's interesting because they were very specific. They loved the performance. They hated the character. The word that kept reappearing was repugnant. Repugnant. Hey, it's me. Where are you? There's traffic. I can't sit in traffic. I'm, I'm too smart. What? You have to have done something stupid to be in traffic. I don't belong here. Stop gossiping about my towels. If your towels weren't so ratty, I wouldn't have to talk about them. You want to talk about me? Fine. You want to talk about my relationships? Fine. Do not discuss my towels. Season 11 of Curb starts Sunday on HBO and will end on Boxing Day, which seems kind of weird, but it'll make for a fun Boxing Day. If you've never seen it, Curb Your Enthusiasm stars Larry David as himself and follows him through his daily life in Hollywood. The episodes have a plot outline, but the dialogue is all improvised. Larry David, of course, of course, rose to prominence as one of the creators of Seinfeld, along with Jerry, and he was the basis for the character George Costanza. And a lot of the his real-life adventures were stories on Seinfeld, like the contest, for example, was something that Larry David really took part in. So Curb has this, you know, the same dovetailing story structure of Seinfeld and the nitpicking of every minor social interaction you have in your daily life, but with a lot more swearing and adult themes, basically the stuff they could never have done on NBC in the 90s, they've been doing on HBO in the 21st century. And he has an ex-wife and a few friends, his manager and a roommate, Leon. And when we last left Larry at the end of season 10, his Spite store and his rival Mocha Joe's stores had both burned to the ground. And then Mocha Joe somehow became his neighbor. So we'll see how much of that, if anything, comes into play. And we'll also see how much, if at all, the pandemic plays an active part in the stories. They have said there are references to it, but they haven't really given any specifics other than to say that the season is set, you know, sort of, post-pandemic, maybe more post than real life is. And like I said, it's season 11 of Curb Your Enthusiasm. The show started in 2000 and he's been averaging a season every two years, I guess. The seasons came out more consistently at the beginning of the run and then there was a six-year break between 2011 and 2017. And season 10 was just last year. It ended in March, right when the pandemic was beginning. And that really feels like a lifetime ago. I was shocked when I was, you know, looking up some of the research here and realized that season 10 was even last year. I thought it'd been two or three years since season 10, but there you go. I had intended to do a series rewatch over the past year and a half, and I almost pulled the trigger a few times when the, you know, lockdowns were tightest in our area, but I couldn't do it because I do really love the show. It's probably a top five all-time sitcom for me, but I do find it an exhausting watch. The episodes are usually a full 30 minutes, which is often a little too long. Not sure if that's just a lifetime of conditioning for sitcoms to be 22 minutes, but whenever they're longer, it feels like they're too long usually. Mostly, though, I think it's just exhausting because so much of it is watching 
Larry argue with people. You tense up watching him have these funny but very unpleasant interactions with nearly everyone he meets. It's just tiring after a while. It's not conducive to binge watching, at least not for me. But who knows? Maybe I'll give it a shot one day and I can tear through it all again. But for now, we are here at season 11 of Curb Your Enthusiasm, one episode per week, which is the perfect amount starting Sunday on HBO. Brett, I'm very excited for this. So am I. And I also did not realize that season 10, while I knew it was recent-ish, didn't realize that it was last year. Thought it was two years ago at least. So it's kind of surprising that he's coming back so soon, especially when you consider that six-year break where it seemed like that was it. There was no more Curb. Yeah, I think maybe then he thought he might do some other stuff, and maybe now he just is like, well, he's had the whole year and a half off with nothing else to do but sit at home, so I guess they're like, might as well come up with ideas for a new season. And it looks good. Um, it looks. I thought that the last season was good, not as good as previous efforts. So I'm kind of hoping that this one is, not to say that it was bad, it just wasn't my favorite. Right. Like, bad curb quote-unquote bad curb is still better than and funnier than most stuff on television i just uh i don't know i i I can't even remember what it was that was missing but it didn't quite do it for me yeah i i'm struggling to recall some of the details there too we heard uh john ham in the clip talking about how he was cast as larry david in some movie about larry david i have a vague recollection of of him, John Hamm, being on the last season, but not really. I do remember the Spite Store stuff. That I thought was really funny just because yeah. in the in the world of the series, Larry David is Larry David, like Seinfeld co-creating multi-millionaire and just the notion of him starting a coffee shop to like try and drive another coffee shop out of business is just insane. So we're looking forward to that once again. Season 11, Curb Your Enthusiasm, starts Sunday on HBO. So you can now you can watch that if you have a subscription through Crave. I also recently discovered, just a sidebar, because Succession started last week. And actually, I'll ask you about yep. that in a minute. But um, for years, I have lamented that I always have to wait until 10 p.m., to watch whatever their flagship show is on Sunday. Uh, Predominantly, it's been Game of Thrones. But any show that starts there, got to wait until 10, even though they start... So we're in Winnipeg, so a show that starts at 9 o'clock Eastern would be 8 o'clock in Winnipeg. So some cable providers had that, but for whatever reason, our cable provider, or my cable provider, Shaw, always had it at 10, because I guess we were getting our, our feed from Alberta, I think. But I turn on the TV on Sunday and I just do the Shaw. I've got the Shaw blue curve thing. So I just hold the remote up to my face. It's like 825 PM. And I just, cause I remembered I hadn't set my recording for succession. So I just say succession and it turns on it. The show was on. And I realized that I now have two HBO channels. I have HBO one and I have HBO two. So I could have been watching succession at 8 PM, but I didn't even know that was there. So just pointing that out, if you've got a Crave subscription that comes with HBO, you now have two HBO channels and I don't know how long ago that is. And I guess that just speaks to how little I actually flip (laughs) through channels anymore. I just go to the specific (laughs) channel or the specific program And that's it. So it could be uh, something that's been there for months, maybe even years, but I haven't noticed it. But I'm very happy because it wasn't there when Game of Thrones was wrapping up, I'll tell you that much. 
Yeah, I've got I have the Crave app, but that that's what I watch Succession on, and I think I turned it, I flipped to it at like ten after eight, and it was sitting there. So I was like, oh, I can watch it now. It was already on the app. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. That's well, good. That's and cool. it says the uh, it says curbs coming on Sunday too. So okay. And while we're on it, and before I forget, it's sometime in November when uh oh what's that the, what's that cowboy show I like I can't remember the one about the ranch. God. Oh, uh, Yellowstone. Yellowstone. Uh, that's a Paramount Plus show in the U.S., but it's on Amazon Prime Video here in Canada. And the new episodes will be coming in real time on Amazon Prime Video when Yellowstone season four starts up next month. Okay, that's good. 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 Okay. Yeah. Did you have you watched all three of the first uh, or the first three seasons? I did. It was uh, really season one was good. The first half of season two, for whatever reason, I really slowed down on it. I don't know if the show was boring me or if I just wasn't preoccupied with something else but then the second half of season two and all of season three really just flew by that's some excellent stuff there so i'm excited for season four okay i'm uh, just going to quickly mention succession self do you want to be on the side of good or evil you tell him i'm gonna grind his bones to make my bread he says he's going to grind your bones to make his bread okay tell him that i'm gonna run up off the Beanstalk. He's kind of laughing, but not like nice laughing. All right, so what'd you think? Season three, episode one. I enjoyed it. It was a little bit of, you know, table setting and, uh, you know, like picking up the pieces from the end of season two and which I had only seen for the first time just days earlier. So for me, it wasn't this uh, two year wait that it was for so many other people. So I probably wasn't, you know, as enthralled as maybe people have been waiting for it for a long, long time, but I thought it was good and uh, a good setup to season three as uh, the old man and Kendall, you know, fight over for control of the, of the, of the company, obviously, and uh, we'll see. I'm excited to see where it goes. It was super, super good, and within seconds of them speaking to each other, Brian Cox's character, Logan, is already cutting people down in just the most brutal of ways with the most brutal words, and I started laughing. He's so, so mean, and he's so good at being mean, so what a terrific show. Can't wait to see how this plays out. Up next, it looked really good, but it was a big flopperoo. Jeff Braun's going to tell you if it's worth seeing the last duel you're listening to the couch potatoes welcome back to the couch potatoes i'm jeff he's brett and i went to the movies this week matt damon and adam driver get medieval on our butts in the last duel each man is to fight to the death discover the unbelievable true story that is now the cinematic event of the year matt damon adam driver jody coomer and ben affleck I want him to answer for what he has done. Critics rave. No one does it like Ridley Scott. Let them go! Let them go! Let them go! The Last Duel. Read it R. Experience it on the big screen October 15th. Tickets on sale now. First off, this is a good movie that did very badly at the box office, despite the guy there calling it the cinematic event of the year. It is definitely not that. Less than $5 million on opening weekend, and even given the state of theaters with the pandemic and all, that is not good. And it probably doesn't bode well for movies geared towards grown-ups, which has been a problem for a while now, especially for anything with a big budget like this that is made for theaters. Now, The Last Duel is directed by Ridley Scott. It stars Matt Damon, Adam Driver, Jodie Comer, and Ben 
Affleck. It's set in France in the late 1300s, so they're all French. They have French character names, uh, but even though at least two of those actors are, you know, decidedly from the Boston area, they all have slightly British accents in this movie. I think that's just the default way of English-speaking actors talking when things are set in the Middle Ages. I don't know. If you've seen The Great Wall, you know it can be a lot worse on the old-timey accent front with Matt Damon, so... I don't really have a complaint about that. It's fine, even though it you know, really makes little sense. But of course, in reality, they wouldn't have been speaking English anyway. So if you're not going to do the right language, why bother doing the right accent? The story itself, fairly simple once you boil it down, but the telling of it is a bit more complex. Basically, there are these two guys, these knights, Damon and Driver. They're good soldiers and friends in the court of Count Pierre, played by Ben Affleck. Driver does Damon a little dirty on some land deals and obviously... Curry's favor with Affleck, and then one day he goes too far, and by that I mean he rapes Damon's wife, who's played by Comer. Damon won't let that stand, and challenges him to a duel, and at this point in history duels have fallen out of fashion, but they are still, you know, legal on the books, so Damon throws down his glove, and then they duel. Now, the structure of the movie is where it gets interesting because the story leading up to the duel is told three times from three different perspectives, like Rashomon. We see Matt Damon's version of it, then we see Adam Driver's version of it, and we see uh, Jodie Comer's version of it. And thankfully, it's not the same dozen scenes three times in a row. It's not like that. There are, of course, some overlapping scenes that are shown three times, but a lot of the scenes are shown where there's only, you know, one character who is around for it, so we only see it once. But it all, of course, adds different shadings and layers to the overall story and, of course, to the characters. And in the scenes we do see multiple times, they're, of course, just a little bit different each time, depending on whose perspective we're watching. Um, unlike a lot of TV shows that do this sort of thing, like The Affair or even it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's a lot more subtle here. Ridley Scott definitely, you know, reuses some shots and he doesn't make everything wildly different in each version like some of those shows do. But, you know, for example, in the Matt Damon version of things, he's Matt Damon is pretty noble. And in the Adam Driver version of things, Matt Damon is kind of ungrateful. And in the Comer version, he's a little scary at times. So it's good writing, you know, which brings us to the hook of the film was that it's for the first time that Damon and Affleck have written a movie together since Goodwill Hunting. This time they bring in a third writer, Nicole Hall of Center, because obviously they wanted a woman's perspective in all of this. And it's not a spoiler to say, you know, life for women in the Middle Ages wasn't great, even if you were rich. And I would also say the depiction of the rape scenes in this movie are pretty intense and they're quite a bit longer than you might expect. So it's definitely not for everyone. I think that's also been some people's, you know, chief complaints about the movie is like, well, why did that need to be so long? And why did that need to be so intense? The whole movie is long. It's just over two and a half hours, but I didn't think it really felt that long. Again, the way they wrote it, you know, not to repeat too much kind of keeps it going. And it also gives you a sense of like, oh, now we're doing this again. So I sort of know where we're going to, where this is going to lead to, and then it resets and it leads to it again. So in your mind, you know where the story's going. And I think that helps with the time issue. Plus it's an interesting story and it's well acted. And frankly, you want to see this duel and find out who wins. So besides the duel, there are also some other action scenes as Damon and Driver attend various battles around France and Scotland. And because it is Ridley Scott, it's pretty brutal on the battlefront. He, of course, made Gladiator, and he's dabbled in other olden-time movies like Kingdom of Heaven and Robin Hood. And, you know, just while we're on... Uh, 
talking about Ridley Scott here. As much as Clint Eastwood's still working at age 91, has made headlines this year, Ridley Scott is 83, and he's making you know far more ambitious, big-budget action movies compared to Eastwood, which is pretty impressive, I think. I found the whole movie pretty impressive, Brett. It's a bit darker tonally than Gladiator, and there's not as much action. Frankly, they probably could have also cut 20 minutes out of this movie, especially at the beginning of it, and it would have been just fine. But again, it didn't really feel too long, despite the fact that it was too long. I do think I've seen enough medieval movies and period dramas to last me for quite some time now. I'm not saying I don't like them, but they're not my favorite kinds of movies, and I'll be happy to see, you know, movies set in modern times for the next long while, I think, although I will go see Dune this week, but that's more of a sci-fi deal. Uh, The Last Duel... A loser, big time at the box office, but a winner on the big screen. Four couch cushions out of five. I do recommend checking it out. Four couch cushions out of five for The Last Duel. And Jeff just mentioned Dune, so we've got a quick preview of that and of a really fun little cartoon that's out in theaters this weekend. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Brett He's Jeff. We are The Couch Potatoes. Exciting news this week concerning The Batman. But first... New in theaters this week, Canada's Denis Villeneuve directs the first of a two-part adaptation of the epic 1965 science fiction novel, Dune. We are a house of Atreides. There is no call we do not answer. There is no faith that we betray. Smile, Gurney. I am smiling. The Emperor asks us to bring peace to Arrakis. House Atreides accepts! Dune follows Paul Atreides, a gifted young man with a great destiny, and he has to head to the most dangerous planet in the universe to protect the future of his family and his people. Great cast in this, Timothy Chalamet, Rebecca Ferguson, Oscar Isaac, Josh Brolin, Stellan Skarsgård, Dave Bautista, Zendaya, Charlotte Rampling, Jason Momoa, and more. And it's getting good reviews. This is an extermination. They're picking my family off one by one. Let's fight like demons. An animal caught in a trap will gnaw off its own leg to escape. What will you do? Also new this week, the cartoon Ron's Gone Wrong, about a kid named Barney who wants to be like everyone else at school and get a robot. There's two kinds of people, Dad. The ones who have a bebot and the ones who don't. So his dad caves and gets him a robot named Ron. Problem is, Ron's malfunctioning, and his hilarious malfunctions teach Barney the true meaning of friendship and gives headaches to a sketchy executive who will protect his company's stock price at all costs. Looks fun. Okay, Ron, a bunch of your code is missing. You're supposed to know everything about me. Hair, brown. Height, 4'11". 5'11 would be better. Girls would not laugh at you. Hey! That looks fun. So a couple of choices for you in theaters this weekend. But as we look ahead a few months, Jeff, I think it's safe to say we will both be at the theater for this one. Yeah, the first full trailer for the upcoming Batman movie called The Batman, because they're running out of titles, came out this week. Fear is a tool. But when that light hits the sky, it's not just a call. It's a warning. 
I hate to say it, I might start to have a little bit of Batman fatigue right now. I mean, part of it's from watching six hours of Justice League movies recently, but I mean, this is, seems soon for another Batman. There should really be a six or seven year moratorium on reboots for the Batman so we could, you know, just give us a chance to miss him a little bit. This time it's Robert Pattinson from the Twilight movies as the Dark Knight, and as we heard, he uses fear as a tool against the criminal underworld in Gotham, just like all the other Batmans, and like all the other Batmans, he has a breathy voice. This is about a king, and Riddler's the match. I can take care of myself. If this continues, it won't be long before you've nothing left. I don't care what happens to me. It's only going to get worse for you. Batman is directed by Matt Reeves, who also made Cloverfield and a couple of the recent Planet of the Apes movies. Paul Dano plays the Riddler, Zoe Kravitz plays Catwoman, and Colin Farrell plays the Penguin. Are they already overstuffing the bad guys in movie one this time out? Also, Colin Farrell is unrecognizable in heavy makeup and prosthetics. Like, why not just hire an actor who looks like the guy they made him up to be? I don't know. I think we're a little beyond people showing up to a Batman movie based on who's playing the Penguin. And I know I sound a little cranky about all this, and I am a bit, but it does look like a cool Batman movie, and I'm sure I'll be more excited when the time comes, and that would be March 4th of next year. Whoa, take it easy, sweetheart. Hear everything they say, ain't you? Maybe we're not so different. Who are you under there? I'm vengeance. I will quickly say that I got so excited when I watched this trailer. And I, I hear you, man. I, I do think there is a bit of Batman fatigue, but I sort of thought about it and I thought there have been times where I have been reading multiple Batman comics at the same time. Like we're talking four separate titles. So each of these Batman comics is telling a completely different story, different yeah. versions of Bruce Wayne and what's going on in his world. And I had no problem with that. I, I enjoyed that. So I sort of like that this Batman has nothing to do with DC's cinematic universe, at least not yet. Um, but I suppose, now that I think about it, maybe what happens in the new move, the new Flash movie, that will lead Robert Pattinson's Batman to joining the fold. Because at DC Fandom this week, that's their their big fancy event. They released the trailer for the Batman. They released a look ahead to the Rocks movie, Black Adam. That's out in July 2022. And in November of 2022, this is a movie that they've been trying to get off the ground for a few years now, The Flash. And there's a familiar voice in this trailer. Tell me something. You can go anywhere you want, right? Any timeline, any universe. Why do you want to stay and fight to save this one? You change the future, and you change the past.
So just a short teaser of The Flash, and that voice was Michael Keaton as Batman. That's kind of neat. Yeah. I don't understand it, but yeah. So I it's guess they got multiple universes, right? Yeah, this is uh, they're doing the Flashpoint story. I don't I'm not super familiar with it, but we've seen it in uh we saw it in Justice League where the Flash can actually like sort of go back in time and that's the whole primary part of the the TV show is that the Flash can run so fast, he can go through time and he can also go through the multiverse. So this movie said to have multiple Batman Batmen including Michael Keaton as an older Batman. So that sounds pretty neato. So excited for that. November 2022. And then uh, December 2022, we've got Aquaman 2. They showed a sneak peek for that. And then June 2023, Shazam 2, or The Legend of the Gods, I think is what they call it, or The the Wrath of the Gods. I can't remember. doesn't matter. And um, if you liked The Suicide Squad, John Cena is going to pop up on HBO Max in January of 2022 as The Peacemaker. What do you think of that? That's cool. He was he was fun in that movie, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to that series, actually. I think probably uh, Batman would be number one, Flash second, and then Peacemaker third, I think, on that list of stuff you just read. Fury of the Gods, by the way. Shazam, Fury of the Gods. As I, I've said, the, the Legend of the Gods, the Wrath of the Gods. I don't know. Eventually, I would have gotten there. So lots of cool stuff coming out of Fandom. And uh, I will say I'm excited about this Black Adam as well. And that The Rock has been chasing after this one for years. And when I see images from the comics, he's perfect. Like, I don't know that there's ever been a more perfectly cast person in uh, the role of a super hero super villain i'm not really entirely sure what black adam's all about but he doesn't look like someone you want to mess with speaking of people you don't want to mess with jason bateman and laura linney are surrounded by people you don't want to mess with season four of ozark has its start date money is at its essence that measure of a man's choices Why do I have this feeling we both know that you'd be better off dead? Broken promises got consequences. Sometimes, if you don't move forward, you die. Today is our beginning. Season 4 of Ozark debuts January 21st on Netflix, part one of season four of Ozark. In a moment, we're going to tell you about some of the stuff that we've wrapped up and some of the new stuff that we're watching, including Chucky. You are listening to The Couch Potatoes. Welcome back to The Couch Potatoes. I'm Jeff. He's Brett. One of my favorite shows this year ended its first season this past week, Disney Plus's Only Murders in the Building, starring Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez. This doesn't make sense. Where do we start? At the very beginning. I got in the elevator with these two weirdos. Then Tim got in the elevator. Approximately 12 minutes from now, I will be murdered. Tim Kono's death has been ruled a homicide. And apparently one of you did it. I can't stop thinking about this. Neither can I. We should do our own true crime podcast. We're going to go down there and look around for clues. Do you want to come? Do I want to break into a dead guy's apartment and go through all his shit? Sounds like an afternoon. 
right now, the only thing that matters is that there's a killer on the loose in our building. Oh, that is a very good line. Badly delivered, but a good line. The Murder Mysteries comedy ran for 10 episodes on Disney+, Plus, culminating with this week's finale, and they stuck the landing. The show centers around these three characters, who at the beginning of the show are unknown to each other. They come to know each other the night of Tim Kono's murder, and when they realize there has been a murder in their building, they decide to band together, investigate, and start a true crime podcast, of which they have been shown to be fans of. And then the rest of the episodes are a series of clues and red herrings and talking to potential suspects who are also their neighbors and just Unpeeling the Onion. The supporting cast includes Amy Ryan, Nathan Lane, Aaron Dominguez, Tina Fey, and Sting. And the fact that it's all set in this apartment block is kind of perfect because you can open a door and have anyone you want behind it doing anything at all. And of course, since it's a mystery, plot is much more important than it is in a lot of other kinds of stories. And the plot rolls out nicely over the 10 episodes. A lot of mysteries struggle with pacing and the ratio of real clues to red herrings. You have to have some red herrings or else it just becomes a situation where every single thing's a clue and you're just watching someone you know, slog through it to the end, which is kind of boring. But if there are too many red herrings, the audience will start to feel like they're being lied to the whole time and it'll take them out of the show. They won't trust it. So that's just bad news for the show. So the show did a good job and even found satisfying ways to pay off some of the red herrings outside of the main plot and i've seen you know two-hour movies that cannot plot things out as satisfyingly or effectively and stringing this out over 10 episodes was an even tougher job and they did a great job on it so that's a huge check in the plus column for only murders in the building and like i said they suck the landing murder mysteries are the types of stories where the ending really does matter because if it sucks you'll just be upset that you seemingly wasted all that time getting into it and this movie or this series had the requisite twists and turns in, in the finale as well and you know but the ending still actually made sense a lot of times movies will go for a crazy twist at the expense of it making any real sense when you stop to think about it and then it also set up a second season and the setup was terrific and I think that's because we already knew that a a second season had been ordered that's been renewed if the show had been canceled but you know had the final moments setting up a second season that was never to come that would have been pretty upsetting but it is coming back so I'm excited to see how it'll play out in season two and in the meantime I do highly recommend checking out Only Murders in the Building on Disney Plus one of the best shows of the year Brett. Cool. That You know what? I keep meaning to check that one out, but the list just keeps getting longer and longer uh, because I've got stuff piled up. But I ha- was curious to watch this, and I watched it as soon as I could. It debuted this past Tuesday on Showcase Chucky. Jake, you into vintage? No, I'm into retro. Oh, what's the difference? About 10 bucks. <laughs> Fair enough. Look at that. Someone took the butcher knife. <laughs> Hi. I'm Chucky. Wanna play? So if you're not familiar with the original movie that triggered all of this, came out in 1988, it's called Child's Play, and it's about this little good guy's doll that's actually possessed by the spirit of a serial killer named Charles, a.k.a. Chucky, and he goes on a murderous rampage. And it was, it should have been 
a colossal failure, I think, when you, like a killer doll, really. But it was a smash hit. It was a great movie. It triggered several sequels, and it also triggered a reboot in 2019, a reboot film, which kind of failed because there was too much CGI. So this one serves as the sequel to the seventh film, The Cult of Chucky. There, So we had Child's Play 1, 2, and 3, and then Bride of Chucky, Seed of Chucky, Curse of Chucky, and Cult of Chucky. I think I've only seen the first two of those movies, to be honest, and then I sort of bailed out. But I saw that this one was getting good reviews, so I thought, I'll check it out. And yeah, I was... It was tense, it was suspenseful, it was fun, it was funny, it was a, it had a good story, good characters. I'm very impressed, and from what I can tell, there is very little CGI. They went out of their way to make sure that it was mostly done with puppetry. So there are times where you kind of go, is, is that CGI? I don't, I don't know, I can't really tell. So that's good, because when something looks like CGI, that especially when it comes, comes to scary stuff, that ruins... The whole thing. So Chucky's on Showcase on Tuesdays. Might want to check that out. And I'll just very quickly mention here, finally got around to starting uh, season three of Sex Education on Netflix. It came out a month ago, September 17th. And this has been one of my top 10 shows of the last couple of years. It's a British show. And uh, I think it's potentially the most relatable high school show I've ever watched. But it's relatable for... All ages because the adults have their own problems and the the students have their problems that you might remember having those problems when you were a student or it's just funny to look back on the problems you had. And uh, I watched the first episode. It was hilarious. It was heartfelt, dramatic. It's so good. Sex Education on Netflix and the season three or yes, season three finale for you was excellent. And I can't wait for season four, which has already been announced. That is coming hopefully sometime next year, late next year, maybe on Netflix. That's all the time we got. I'm Brett. He's Jeff. We are the Couch Potatoes. Remember, if it requires getting up off the couch, don't bother. Don't bother.